الحمد لله رب العالمين له الحمد الحسن والثناء الجميل وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له يقول الحق وهو يهدي السبيل وأشهد أن سيدنا ونبينا محمد صلى الله عليه وعلى آله وأصحابه والتابعين لهم بإحسان إلى يوم الدين أما بعد بسم الله والحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعن سيد الكتابين رضي الله عنه أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم تجرد لإلهه وابتسم رواه بشيء وحسن This hadith, the scholars, they disputed one another in terms of its authenticity, whether it's sahih or not. The scholars have khilaf. From amongst the scholars are those who considered it to be weak and that it can't be taken as a, as a dalil, as evidence. And they said the reason why it's da'if is because in the chain is Abdullah ibn Ya'qub al-Madani Abdullah ibn Ya'qub al-Madani is in the chain of narration And from the scholars who weakened it is Al-Uqayliyu He weakened the hadith And the second scholar who weakened it is Ibn Qattan they both graded it to be weak and there are some scholars who graded it to be sahih and from them is Ibn Sakan Ibn Sakan graded this hadith to be sahih al-Shaykh al-Albani rahimahullah he graded the hadith to be sahih Shu'ayb al-Arna'ut graded the hadith to be sahih ala kulli hal the hadith there's in there a man called Abdullah ibn Ya'qub al-Madaniyu in the chain and he is Majhulul Hal. He's one whose situation is unknown. And what Majhulul Hal means to the scholars of hadith is something you'd have to study in the science of hadith. Ibn Qattani, he said, La yu'rafu, he's not known. Hafid ibn Hajar said in the taqrib, Majhulul Hal. So this is the problem with the hadith. The benefit that can be taken from the hadith is, which is a meaning that is correct, is that the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he changed his clothes when he came to the ihram, the miqat, and he put his ihram on, and he done ghusl, full complete ghusl. So this hadith shows that you change your clothes. You change your clothes when you're, when you're in the ihram, when you're going to the ihram. So you can wear two clothings the izar and the rida, the bottom garment and the upper garment. And that's for the men. That is for the, that is for the men, not for the women. That's for the men, not for the women. Also, a group of scholars, they use this, a group of fuqaha, they use this hadith to clean yourself and to cleanse yourself 
for two reasons. The first reason is because it's a tanzif. You want to be clean. You want to be clean before you do umrah or hajj. Second one is tanshitul badan. You want to energize yourself. Showering, it gives you tanshit. It energizes. And at that moment, it's highly recommended for the person to cut their hair and to cut their nails and also other parts of their bodies where they want to get rid of. It's a moment to do all of that. And all of this is not unique for the ihram. Generally, a Muslim should always clean himself like this very often. The Jumhur of the scholars, they took the opinion that it's highly recommended. Highly recommended for anyone who wants to do ihram to do that. Even if the woman is on her menses or she's on her postnatal bleeding, even it's recommended for her to do it. And they use the hadith of Jabir until we came to the Hulayfa. This is talking about Asma' bin Umais. Asma' bin Umais was a female companion. Asma' bin Umais was a female, was a female companion. So when the Prophet and his companions they came to Dal Hulayfa, which is the Miqat of the people of Medina, Fawaladat Asma' bin Umaysa. Asma' bin Umaysa, she gave birth. She sent for the Prophet. Okay, what shall I do? What shall I do? The Prophet said to her, shower. So the Prophet commanded her and he instructed her to what? And he also commanded her to also put her ihram on. I will see this later in more details, inshallah ta'ala. So the scholars, they said that if the Prophet commanded a woman who's on her nifas, she just gave birth, then anybody else, it should be highly recommended for them. Ibn Hazm, he took from this that it's a command. Because what did the Prophet say to this female companion? What did the messenger say to her? He said to her, Clean yourself, shower. So Ibn Hazm took from there that it's obligatory to clean yourself. It's obligatory to shower. Because he said, Al-Amru wujub. That the command of the Prophet shows obligation and there's no reason to divert it from that. Abdullah ibn Umarin, he said, Min sunnati from the sunnah of the Prophet is, that the person showers if he wants to do put on his ihram. And when he wants to enter Mecca. Two times. The first time that you shower is when you're at the miqat and you're putting on your ihram. So let's say you went to Medina. Medina to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And you went to Dal Hulayfa. And when you went to Dal Hulayfa, 
you showered. You cleaned yourself. Then you drove or you went on a coach. And then you came to Tan'im, Masjid Aisha, which is what they call it today. You come to Tan'im, it's good to stop there again. Before you enter the Mecca and you shower again. Second time. Those are the two times uh, is the person is recommended Abdullah ibn Abbas Abdullah ibn Umar said from the Prophet sallallahu and this is found in Bazar's Musnad and Hafid ibn Hajar graded this, the statement of Abdullah ibn Umar he said Isnaduhu Sahih its chain of narration is authentic if the person doesn't do ghusl then he does wudu if he doesn't want to, if he doesn't want to do ghusl and he takes the opinion that it's not obligatory then he does wudu or if he can't even find water, he does wudu. He tries to do wudu. What about if he's very, very, very cold? What should he do? Then tayammum. Like in the Hanabila, they don't believe the tayammum. Because they say that the whole reason why the ghusl was made, it was to cut the what? It was to get rid of the odor, the bad smell of the person's body. Tayammum won't do that, they said. This hadith, the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he was asked, مَا يَلْبَسُ الْمُحْرِمُ The one, but the person who is in a state of ihram, muhrim, what should he wear? The Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, what was the question that he was asked? What was the question? Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. What was he asked? It's there. Huh? What should? What should he wear? But why did the Prophet tell him what you shouldn't wear? This is something you have to really learn when you talk to people. And that is what they shouldn't wear is less and it's more countable than what they can wear. Are we all together? The Sharia didn't state for us what is halal. It, it told us what? Why? Because what, what is halal is what? It's too much. Are we all together? So whatever this you can't do, the rest you can. Because it's something you can count. It's something that you can... But if Prophet Hassan states all the things that you can do, he won't be able to count it. It's too much. So he turned it, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, into what you can't wear. And so anything other than what he mentioned here, 
and some of those which the fuqaha connected it with, then it's what? You can't wear in a haram. The Prophet ﷺ, he said, La talbisu. The Prophet ﷺ, he said, do not wear, a person should not wear al-qumusa. The first thing that they were, you, they were told that they can't wear, it's shirts. A shirt is sewn, right? You can't wear it. It's tailored and it's... The reason why the qumus, the shirt, you're not allowed to wear it is because it fits the body. The shirt, the thobe falls under that because it's made from my hands. Look how it's... My hands... It fits my body, my neck, and anything. It's made for my body part. It's not allowed. وَلَلْعَمَائِمَ And turbans. Ama'im is a turban. It's what you put around your head. It's the turban you go around your head. That's ama'im. The plural is ima. The singular is imama. Ama'im is the plural. Ama'im is the plural and the singular is imama. وَوَمَا يُلَفُّ عَلَى الرَّأْسِ It's what you revolve, you turn around on your head. Turban. The Prophet then said, وَلَسْسَرَاوِيلَاتِ Sarawil, it is trousers. Again, the reason is because trousers is what? It fits the body. You're not allowed to wear that. Walal baranisa. A baranis is what the Moroccans wear, which has a hoodie on it. Have you seen the Moroccan? The Baranis, that's the closest one. <clears throat> You're not allowed to wear it. The Baranis, it covers the head and it also covers the what? The body altogether. That's also not allowed. The Messenger وسلم, also said, الخفافة, and you're not allowed to wear sworn slippers meaning the khuf you all know what the khuf is? the khuf is the leather socks you all know the khufain right? It's like, a, it's like a leather socks that you wear it's got zip, have you not seen it? it's that one the message said don't wear that don't wear it nowadays what will fall under that? A lot of us are wearing right now, some of us are wearing socks. Same, same, same. Don't wear that. Then look at the Prophet said, Unless a person can't find two shoes. He can't find two shoes. Let him wear the khufayn. And then he should cut it from beneath the ankles. Have you seen those sports socks? You've seen those sports socks where it goes under the ankles. Are we all together? Basically, those you can wear. If you can't find shoes to wear, you can wear that. Are we all together? The Prophet said he should cut it 
The person should cut it from beneath their ankles. This ruling of cutting it, the scholars, they said this is abrogated. And the hadith that abrogated it was the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ where he gave a khutbah in Arafah. And he said, anyone who can't find shoe, two shoes, فليلبس, let him wear, يلبس, let him wear, two khufs. And anyone who cannot find, izaran, and anyone who cannot find an izar, izar is a what? It's a lower garment. Sarawila, let him wear trousers. Now ponder here, ponder. The Messenger Ali والسلام, here he didn't say about the concept of cutting. Did he? He just said, if you can't wear fine shoes to wear, then wear the khufain. He said that right here in this other hadith. And the other hadith he said, if you can't find shoes, wear the khufain and cut the khufain from beneath the ankles. The scholars, they said the previous one was abrogated and this abrogated it. Why can't we just say this is general and this is specific and this specific case presidents of the general? The reason why we can't say that is because this hadith, 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 this hadith that we're looking at right now, Hadith Ma'abas, and the other one is the hadith of Ibn Umar. The one you guys have is the hadith of Ibn Umar, right? Hadith Ibn Umar came first. Hadith Ibn Abbas came after. If we say that the Hadith Ibn Abbas is general and the Hadith Ibn Umar is specific and the specific takes presence of the general, what will come out from this is on the day of Arafah, not everybody knew the Hadith Ibn Umar. Not everyone was aware the concept of the cutting of the Khufayn. And so, it, so it would mean that the messenger in Arafah gave a general ruling when there was a specific ruling needed, and then you fall into the problem where the scholars they say bayani an The prophet would be then withholding vital information that the companion men and the men would need. Sallallahu alaihi wasallam. We all together. Have I made sense in that regard? So we say that's abrogated, and that's the correct opinion. So we don't go to the issue of mutlaq and muqayyad, and the muqayyad takes precedence over the mutlaq. The other issue that we learn from this is don't wear shay'an min al-thiyabi. And do not wear the Messenger, he said, clothing. That has been dyed with sweet smelling And also It can't have Za'faran In English is saffron And it can't have Al-Warsu The Wars Is not used For fragrance But it's a tree that has good fragrance And it gives it color Anyways, you're not allowed to. You have to stay away from those. But like in this hadith, didn't meant, uh, Ibn Hajar did not bring here 
two extra things for the women when it comes to ihram. There are two extra things that the women need to do for ihram. And that is another riwayah of Bukhari. It mentions, وَلَا تَنْتَقِبُ الْمَرْأَةُ The woman should not wear a niqab. وَلَا تَلْبَسُ الْقُفَازَيْنِ And the woman, the woman should not wear gloves. There's two additional things for the woman. A woman, she cannot wear niqab. وَلَا تَنْتَقِبُ الْمَرْأَةُ الْمُحْرِمَةُ وَلَا تَلْبَسُ الْقُفَّازَيْنِ And she's not allowed to wear gloves. Those are not permitted for the woman. Also, the sunnah is the person wears what the Prophet ﷺ wore, which is izar and a rida. Majority of the Muslims, nearly every Muslim I've ever seen do Umrah Hajj wears. It's a lower garment where you tie from the bottom and a what? And an upper garment. Here I have to mention something which is books of fiqh, they mention a problematic term. Books of fiqh. They mention this issue of you're not allowed to wear tailored clothes. Sir? Or stitched they use. Ah, oh, that's good. That's a good word. You can't wear stitched clothes. And that's incorrect. And so you see, subhanAllah, some people who are cutting their shoes that they get or the flip-flops that they're wearing, they cut parts out of it because they see a sewing in it. The term is khata, to use the word al-makhito. Stitched is incorrect. What is prohibited is that if the clothing is fit, that's what it is. It can't fit you, the clothing. Are we all together? It cannot fit you. But if a person, for instance, the ihram, he takes the, the middle ihram from the top and he makes this, he puts a he sews it from the top so it doesn't fall out from him, from the top. He does that, فَلَا يَضُرُّ It does not harm him. Because it's not fit for him. Are we all together? It's not like clothing. There's no problem with that. And the first person that, from the Salaf who used the word stitch is Ibrahim al-Nakhai. And then the student of Al-Imam Abu Hanifa, Zufar ibn al-Hudaylin, used it and it became common amongst the fuqaha. So it's a term that should be avoided and not used. Mm-hmm. Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha she said Kuntu I was one Utayyibu Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam I would place Tib on the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam al-ihramihi whilst he was in a state of ihram qabla an yuhrima before he wore his ihram I'd put Tib and everything on him and she said walihilli qabla an yatufa bil bayti and I would do it for him in his hill and we will talk about what that hill means before he did his tawaf 
muttafaqun alayh. Here, the hadith benefits us the permissibility of wearing perfumes when you're in the miqat. To get a atar, place it on yourself, no problem. In the haram, when you're wearing, so you showered, then you took atar, you put it on your body, in your body, on your body, not on the ihram, on your body. So that, and you may, maybe you put a lot on yourself, strong, rude or whatever you did. So it can remain. The reason you're doing it is so you're going to swear, people are going to come to you, you want to smell nice. This is permissible. But what about if the smell carries on and people can smell it from you even after what? After you wore your haram, isn't that an issue? Is that not a problem? No. There's a qa'idah which is yughtafaru fil baqa'i ma la yughtafaru fil ibtidai. What is prohibited from you is what you start. And what you do in the state of ihram, not what carried on from before the state of ihram. Are we all together on that? This is important that we understand it. يُغْتَفَرُ فِي الْبَقَاءِ مَا لَا يُغْتَفَرُ فِي الْإِبْتِدَاءِ أَمَا يُغْتَفَرُ فِي الدَّوَامِ مَا لَا يُغْتَفَرُ فِي الْإِبْتِدَاءِ Before that, no one's talking about it. What you did before, the atad that you put on and anything. No one, it doesn't matter. This, is, this was something you did before you got into the ihram. So you're forgiven for that, no problem. There's nothing upon you. Are we all together? Rather, Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha, she narrated another hadith. She said, كَأَنْظُرُوا it was like I'm looking at the Prophet. The word wabis means glitter. I can see the glitter. It's like, you know, like something glitters, you can see it. You know, when you put the atar on it, it glows and it glitters. Huh? It's like I can see the wabis tibi in the mafariq is here, where this head goes different directions. Are we all together? It's like I can see the Prophet that part of his head glowing. She poured all of that onto him. Are we all together? And he's in a state of haram. So it doesn't matter if it can be smelled from you or it can be seen from you or it's glowing from you and none of that is a problem. Also, the hadith shows after the tahallul aw sughra that a person can also put tib on what does tahallul al sughra ama tahallul al awwal mean yawm al nahar we're going to speak about this in more details just know it for now yawm al nahar ba'da jamarat al aqaba after the day of nahar after the person does the jamarat the jamara they stone This is called tahallulul awwal. It's the first tahallul. At that moment, everything you're allowed to do except sexual intercourse with your spouse. You can change your clothes. You can put perfume or you can, everything's allowed. The only thing you're not allowed to do is what? Sexual intercourse. Because the hadith, what did it say? وَلِيْحِلِّهِ قَبْلَ أَنْ يَطُوفَ بِالْبَيْتِ And his hill 
before he ran around the Kaaba, before he circumambulated around the Kaaba. Meaning, Yawmul Nahr, Jamarat al Aqaba, before he did his tawaf around the Kaaba. This is called Tahallulul Awwal. That's called the Tahallulul Awwal, and then the other one is the Tahallulul Kubra, is when a person fully finishes Hajj. Now they can come into contact with their family. They can. And the, some of the scholars they said that it's not enough. Some of the fuqaha they said it is not enough. So some of the scholars they mentioned that it's not enough to do the jamarah only. Yawmul Nahar, what did we just say? The person, he's stones, right? Some of the scholars, they said that the stoning is not enough. He has to accompany it with either Nahar Aslota, or he has to accompany it with Tawaf, or he has to accompany it with Halq. That's another mas'ala we're going to come into, but I just want to mention it for now. And that's not correct, based on the hadith Ibn Umar generated where the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi If you do the jamara, jamaratul aqaba, فَقَدْ حَلَّ لَكُمْ كُلُّ شَيْءٍ Everything has been made permissible for you, إِلَّا النِّسَاءَ except women. إِلَّا النِّسَاءَ except women. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in this hadith, hadith of Uthman ibn Affan, radiyallahu ta'ala anhu, that the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said, لَا يَنْكِحُ الْمُحْرِمُ وَلَا يُنْكِحُ وَلَا يُنْكِحُ وَلَا يَخْطُبُ So we have the word, يَنْكِحُ يُنْكِحُ يَنْكِحُ بِفَاتْحِ السِّيَاءِ What's the difference? Yankihu with the fatha of the ya, it means he can't get married. Whilst he's in a state of ihram. Oh yunkihu, or he can't marry someone else off. He can't do nikah for people. Are we all together? He's not allowed to do nikah for others. Meaning, like in some of the scholars, they said, Some of the scholars, they said, The word khitbah, which is to ask, for a man, to ask a man for his daughter, right? And he says to you, okay, I will give you my daughter, get your family ready, khitbah, right? Some of the scholars, they said that the khitbah is not a haram. The nikah is haram to marry or, or to marry someone else. They said this is haram. Okay, yes. Like in the khitbah, it is karaha to tenzi. It's prohibited. Eh, sorry, it's disliked. And it's not haram. And some of them even transmitted an ijma' in that issue. Some of them tried to transmit an ijma' in that issue. Lakin, that which is correct is that it's haram. 
and there are three great scholars that, show, that argue that it's haram. Ibn Aqil al-Hanbali, Ibn Taymiyyah, and Muhammad al-Amir al-Sanaaniyu. And they said that the hadith, وَلَا يَخْطُبُ وَلَا يَخْطُبُ It is a prohibition. And the unrestricted prohibition of the messenger, it shows haram. Nahyul Mutlaq, the unrestricted prohibition, it shows tahrim. It shows that it's haram for you to do it. So they said, where is the delil to show that it's disliked? That needs another evidence. That needs what? Another evidence. Okay. But what about if he does get married? We know it's haram for him to do it. We know it's prohibited for him to do it. But let's say he did get married. In Arafah, him and the Sheikh met and they talked and he said, I'll give you my daughter all this time in Hajj. You were upright, you were steadfast, you're a noble person. I'm going to marry my daughter to you. Are you ready? Yes. Two witnesses there. He said, give me your hand. And he marries his daughter off to him. Is this contract that just took place, is it valid? We're not talking about whether it's halal or haram. We know it's haram. But it's valid. Does it take place? Are they now married? We say that no. That marriage is null and void. It's fasadul aqdi. It's null and void. And that's the madhabul jumhur. The belief, the argument of the overwhelming majority of scholars. Here there's a question now. Where do we then take the hadith of the Prophet wasallam that he وسلم, got married to Maymuna when he was in a state of ihram? Ibn Abbas narrated as found in Bukhari and Muslim. Bukhari and Muslim, both of them narrated that Ibn Abbas, and he said, and then Nabiya that the messenger, he married off, he married Maymuna, and he was in a state of ihram. So how do we respond to that? Some scholars, they said it's easy to respond to it. They said that, who is the narrator? Abdullah ibn Abbas. Mm, okay. They said Abdullah ibn Abbas, he was young. He was, he was young. He was young. The person who got married to the Prophet ﷺ was who? Who was it? Maymuna, right? Maymuna, her, her, she said herself. She herself said it. And then Nabi said, The messenger married her when he was not in a state of ihram. And the scholars, they say, صَاحِبُ الْوَاقِعَةِ مُقَدَّمٌ عَلَىٰ خَبَرِ غَيْرِهِ the one who the issue happened to takes precedence over the one who didn't happen to. It's like somebody coming up to you and saying to you, the event that took place this, 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 this time, did you hear about it? Are you like, we were there, we were the people it happened to, Akhi. The event that you're talking about, we are the people who it happened to. Uh, what are you talking about here? Have you heard of it? We were there, it happened to us. So, Maymuna was the one the Prophet married to. She knows it better than Abdullah ibn Abbas. True or false? So that's what they said. And Abdullah ibn Abbas was very young. And Sa'id ibn al-Musayyib, he said, Wahim ibn Abbas. Ibn Abbas, he got 
He got it wrong. It's a mistake on the side of Ibn Abbas. He got it wrong. Wahima. Lakin he didn't say Ibn Abbas lied about the Prophet. Or he lied about the situation. What did he say? He said Wahima. He thought good of Ibn Abbas. But then it becomes more heavier when the issue isn't just Ibn Abbas anymore who said it. Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha said it as well. Oh, it's not just Aisha as well. Abu Huraira said it as well. So we have Ibn Abbas. We have Aisha. We have Abu Huraira. All authentically transmitted to them that the messenger married Maymuna whilst he was in the state of Ihram. Are we all together? And the scholars, they said, the scholars, they said, The scholars, they said Maymuna was the one it happened to And the person who was doing things For the Messenger in the issue of the marriage Was Abu Rafi' And Abu Rafi' said the Prophet married Maymuna when? In a state of you know, He was not in a haram So you have Maymuna Who is the one that got married to the Prophet Abu Rafi' who was the one who played a big role in the whole issue. Both of them on one side say no, it was not in the state of Ihram. You have Aisha, Abu Huraira, Ibn Abbas saying that the Prophet married whilst he was in the state of Ihram. So scholars, they, some scholars, they try to say these three are wrong, these two are the most knowledgeable in this situation because they're the ones first hand they were dealing with the issue and that's what should tarjih. They strengthen one over the other. But I always like if there's a way that you can reconcile between the two. If there's a way that you can bring all of the opinions together without saying one is stronger than the other, it's better to do that. And I think there's a path to do that. And that path is, you say that Abdullah ibn Abbasin, when he said Muhrimun and Aisha said it, and Abu Huraira said it, they were referring to one of two. The word Muhrim is used for anyone who does something in the two sacred lands, Mecca and Ish and Medina, is referred to as a muhrim because these places, these two places are called haram. They're both harams. Haram in Mecca and Haram in Medini. They're sacred. You can't do things in those two places. Sahih? And also, if it's Ashurul Hurum, the sacred months. Something happens in the state in, a, in the Ashurul Hurum is also you're a muhrim. As the poet said, They killed Uthman ibn Affan, the Khalifa of the Muslims, Muhriman, in the state of Ihram. But Uthman was not doing Hajj that year. He was actually in siege. The other companions went Hajj, he didn't go. But where was he? He was in Medina, Rasulullah He was in Medina, Uthman. Are we all together? So when the poet said, They killed Ibn Affan, Uthman Ibn Affan. Al-Khalifa, the Khalifa of the Muslims. Muhriman. Meaning he was in, he was in Haram in Madani. Are we all together? That's the land. And then it could also be used for the month. Like the other poet who said, Kisra They killed the Persian leader, Kisra. 
bilaylin a night muhriman in the state of ihram here it means ashurul hurum one of the sacred months they killed him because kisra was not a muslim he was doing umrah wala hajj and he was not in the house of allah azza so the way to reconcile between them is ibn abbas and Aisha and Abu Huraira were referring to the sacred months. Or they were referring to what? The land. The messenger married her in, in Mecca. Are we all together? That's the best way to bring them together. I, have I made, does that make sense? No. in this story, in him hunting, Abi Qatadat al-Ansari was not in a state of ihram. And he wasn't doing hajj. He wasn't. And he wasn't in state of ihram aslan. La hajj wa la umrah. None of them. Are we all together? But the other companions were. And so was the Prophet wasallam. The question here is, why was Abi Qatadat al-Ansari not in that state? Scholars all tried to give an explanation why he was unique and the rest of them were in state of ihram. Why did he choose not to do it? Scholars, they all mention reasons, but those reasons, there's no evidence for it. There's no? There is no evidence for it. The point is, Abi Qatad al-Ansari did not do Hajj or Umrah. He was not in a state of ihram. That's what matters now. Another benefit that we can take from this point right now is, Abi Qatadat al-Ansari, he, he went through the Miqat. And he came to what? To Mecca, passing through the Miqat. And this is a response and a, and a, and a correction on the, on the part of the scholars who say that you're not allowed to go past the Miqat, whether you're going to Mecca for business or not, you have to do Umrah and then do your business. That it's haram for you to go past the Miqat? No. You can pass the Miqat if you're not doing Umrah, if you don't want to do Umrah. Like Abi Qatadat al-Ansari. Are we all together? Like in this story is that Abi Qatadat al-Ansari, he was not, he was not in the state of Ihram. And he saw Al-Himar al-Wahshi. The Himar is divided into two. There's a Himar al-Ahli which is the one that lives with the people. They use it. And it's the other one which is called Himar al-Wahshi. What's the Himar al-Wahshi called in English? Yeah? It's like a zebra and stuff like that. Huh? It's a zebra. Are we all together? Zebra is a more vicious, right? You can't use it. You can't... It doesn't allow you to put anything on it. But it's a donkey. But it's just... It won't let you do something. It's like, so Himar al-Wahshi... If you guys can correct me, but the closest is that is a zebra. And the Himarul Ahli is the one we know generally as a donkey. The Himarul Ahli is the one that people use 
they put things on it, he carries it for them. The reason it's called Ahli is that he lives with the family, part of the family. He'll do what they, they work in. Wahshi is that he's called, he's a what? He's barbaric, yeah, he's wild. He kicks the people. So he can't, he can't be kept. Are we all together? So this, so a zebra, right? Zebra, you can eat a zebra, right? So he went and he, he saw a lot of them running around. The other Sahabas, they looked, they can't hunt. They're not allowed to hunt because they're in a state of, they're in a state of ihram. So he went and he hunted. I came across a narration, I don't know its authenticity. He, they saw the, they saw the zebras. In America, they call it zebras. We call it zebras. They, call, they saw the zebras, and the Sahabas were laughing and shocked. How much of them there were there? Abi Qatada saw it. He jumped on his riding beast, and then when he, when he jumped on his riding beast, he forgot his spear. And so he said to his companions, "Throw me your, your the spear. Throw me the spear." They said, we're not going to help you. We're not going to aid you in hunting because they can't. And so he came back for the spear. He took his spear and he got the animal and he slaughtered it for them and he brought it to them. And they were in the state of ihram. So they, when he brought it to them, they were like, no, no, this is, this is just, it may, we're not, maybe we're not allowed to have this. Maybe this is not, maybe we're not allowed to do this. So, they went to the Prophet وسلم, and they told the Prophet what happened. فقال the Prophet وسلم, he said, هل منكم أحد أمره أو أشار إليه بشيء? Was any one of you, did any one of you command him to do it? Did anyone instruct him and say, go and do it for us? Go hunt. He said, no, Messenger of Allah. He said, did any one of you point it out to him? Can you see those zebras over there? Did any one of you do that? They said, no, Messenger of Allah, we didn't. Then the Prophet whatever, finish it to the last meat. And some of the narrations mentions that he ate with them. So this hadith shows that if you're not the one who hunted and somebody else hunted, you're allowed to eat the meat. That's what it benefits, right? You're allowed to eat it. As long as you don't what? As, you, as long as you don't play an action or a role in the hunting. If you get everything ready for him, and you say, you, you, show, you grab him by the arm and you show him everything and you say, okay, I'm not going to press the button, now do it yourself. And he does all of that and you say, I didn't hunt. No, you can't. So hunting is haram for the muhrim, the one who's in a state of a haram. And the evidence for that is Allah said in the ayah, Ya amanu la taqtulu sayda wa antum hurm. Don't hunt whilst you're in a state of a haram. And the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ where he, they said, أَنَأْكُلُ لَحْمَ صَيْدٍ وَنَحْنُ حُرُبٍ And the Messenger said, no, you can't. But what is it that's prohibited from us when it comes to hunting? It's what? It is the hunting on the animals which are on the earth. But not the sea. The sea is no, no problem. We're all together. وَحُرِّمَ عَلَيْكُمْ سَيْدُ الْبَرِّ مَا دُمْتُمْ حُرُمًا that which is haram for us is what? The animals on the earth, not what's in the sea. What's in the sea is permissible for us, 
because Allah says, أُحِلَّ لَكُمْ سَيْدُ الْبَحْرِ وَطَعَامُهُ مَتَاعًا لَكُمْ It is permitted for you, سَيْدُ الْبَحْرِ What does it mean, سَيْدُ الْبَحْرِ وَطَعَامُهُ سَيْدُ الْبَحْرِ وَطَعَامُهُ سَيْدُ الْبَحْرِ means the animals that are alive in the sea, you can eat it. وَطَعَامُهُ means the dead animals in the sea, you can also eat it. You're allowed to eat it as well, both of them. So if an animal dies in the sea, you can just eat it, no problem. There's nothing wrong with it. Anyways, that's what this hadith indicates and shows. Question. What about the person who was hunting? If he did the hunting for the person, you didn't help him, you didn't aid him, you didn't support him, but he did it for you. His motive was for you. Okay? Some of the scholars, like the Fuqaha al-Kufa, the Fuqaha of Kufa, and a group of the Salaf, like Ata ibn Abi Rabahin and Mujahid ibn Jabrin and Sa'id ibn Jubairin and others, they saw the permissibility of eating what was hunted by someone else, regardless of what their motive and their reason is. Doesn't matter whether they did it for you or not. Ata and Mujahid and Sa'id ibn Jubairin and Fuqaha al-Kufa, they believed it doesn't matter. And the evidence is the Messenger وسلم, did not ask Abi Qatadat al Ansari, why did you hunt? He didn't ask him. He didn't ask him. So that means it doesn't matter as long as he's not helped, as long as he's not aided. But as we're going to see soon, we're going to see soon the hadith of Sa'ib ibn Jatama, a lady. We're going to see that, which is the next hadith after the Salah. We're going to do this after the Salah. Is Hadith Sa'ab ibn Jathamat al-Layfi And this hadith There has to be a way to reconcile between the two And you'll see Why I say that Basically This hadith here Is an evidence For When the person doesn't do it For you Abi Qatadat al-Ansari Did not do it for the companions he didn't. So this is a hadith you can use. And the hadith of Sa'ab ibn Jathamat al-Layfi is going to indicate and show to us that they, when it was brought to the Prophet and he rejected it, it was because it was done for the muhrim. And if it's done for you, you're not allowed to eat it. You're not allowed to eat it. This hadith, Imam al-Bukhari and Muslim both narrated. So it's mutafaqun alayhi. Yani rawahu al-Bukhari and Muslim. Bukhari and Muslim both narrated it. On the authority of the companion, Al-Sa'ab ibn Jathamah. So there's a fatha on the jim. There's a tashdeed muthalatha. So it's Al-Sa'ab ibn Jathamah ibn Qais al-Layfi rahimahullah. His mother is the sister of Abu Sufyan al-Harb, his mother. He said, أَنَّهُ أَهْدَى He gave a gift. Al-Sa'ab ibn Jathama. أَنَّهُ أَهْدَى 
he presented to the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam the meat of a zebra. Ya Rasulillah himaran wa hashiyan. Wa huwa bil abuwa' while he was in the area known as al abwa and al abwa was the, is where the messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam's mother is buried al abwa is where the messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam's mother is buried so the messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam when he asked allah permission and he sought permission from allah azza wa jalla He sallallahu alayhi wa sallam He said an azura qabla, qabra ummi. I asked Allah permission This was in the treaty of Hudaybiyah When the Prophet did contract So the Prophet said I took permission from Allah If I can go and visit the grave of my mother فَأَذِنَ Allah permitted it for me Allah said you can go and visit your mother's grave Then the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam He said in the hadith Same hadith وَاسْتَأْذَنْتُ رَبِّي And I asked permission from my Lord and أَغْفِرَ لَهَا That I could ask forgiveness from my mother فَلَمْ يَأْذَلِّي Allah did not let me He didn't allow me So Al-Abwa is the where the mother, the mother the Prophet's mother was buried So when he went there he cried وسلم, excessively because of his mom who raised him his mother Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam so Sa'ab ibn Jathama, he was a resident of this place, Al-Abwa'am al-Waddan. He said that I, uh, I he, um, it was said that he presented to the Prophet a zebra, and one of the two places. The Prophet turned back the gift, the meat. The Prophet rejected it. One narration mentions when the Prophet saw the, the response, the, the way that Sa'ab ibn Jathamata al-Laythiyu, the way he felt, how hurt he was. He just gave a gift to the Prophet And he turned down your gift. It hurt him. His face changed. The companion. And so the Messenger he wanted to make him understand. He said to him, we did not reject this except that it's haram for us it's the only reason we would have taken it from you there's nothing wrong with you and there's nothing wrong with the gift but it's just that we are not allowed to have it grammatically it's weak in the Arabic language to say Naruddahu. Afsah is to say Narudduhu. And now we mentioned there's three ways of saying it. Narudduhu, which is Afsahul Lugat. An eloquent way of saying it. Narudduhu. After that comes the wording here, which is Narudduhu. Afatha on the Dal, but it's weak, it's La'if. And Adhaf, the weakest, but it can be said, but it's extremely weak, is Narud Dihi Bikasri Dali. That's the weakest one, but it's said in the Arabic language.
the benefits that we take from the hadith is that it's an evidence, this hadith, that is prohibited. The eating of the meat of what? Of a hunted animal, whether it's hunted in Umrah or Hajj. If you're in a state of ihram and someone brings you meat, that you can't eat that meat if they did it for you. So Asa'ab ibn Jathama, the reason why the Prophet rejected it from him, and the other one, Abi Qatadat al-Ansari, the Prophet accepted it. The reason is what? Abi Qatadat al-Ansari did not, he did not hunt it for the companions, and he did not hunt it from, he did it for himself. Like in this one, Asa'ab ibn Jathama's hadith, the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa he knew that he did it for him. And so it's haram based on that. Also, this hadith shows us the permissibility of rejecting gifts. If a person gives you a gift, you can reject it. Especially if that gift has something haram in it. Imam al-Bukhari, chapter in Sahih, The chapter of the one who doesn't accept the gift because of a reason. Because of a reason, he rejects it. Also, the benefit that we take from this hadith is the importance of observing the heart and the feeling of your Muslim brother. How important it is. And not to make him hurt. And say, well, it's the haq, it's the truth. Very important that you, you are look at the people's hearts. Are we all together? And their feeling. It's part of our religion. Some people, they think, the more you're harsher to the creation of Allah, the more you're stubborn to the people, the more you are rude to the people, the more you are sahib sunnah. Are we all together? The more you're a person of the haqq. Every time you see the people, just bash them. Correct them straight away. Tell them all their faults. Make them feel small. And that means you are on the haqq. That's not how it is. The Messenger sallallahu alayhi what did he say about the believer? He is layinun. The Muslim is layin, soft. Approachable. Everyone can come to him. Approachable, sah? The Messenger sallallahu alayhi a slave girl in the city of Medina, she would take him by the hand and she would use him وسلم, all around Medina. That doesn't mean he, wasn't, he, would, he was not one to speak the truth. He would speak the truth, but he would also what? He would... Look at the feeling of the people. And every time I remember this statement, whichever Muslim brother of yours that you're advising, and he's a Muslim, and he's done a sin, and he's committed a crime, he's a Muslim, remember, he's not worse than Pharaoh. And remember, you are not better than Nabi Lahi Musa. Allah commanded Musa when he went to Fir'aun When you go to Fir'aun, Musa Talk to him in a gentle manner Fir'aun, what did he say? He can claim the ownership of everything He said, I'm the supreme lord He said, I am Ilah I don't know an Ilah other than me I'm the only one. There's no other ilaha I know for you guys. 
he reached that level of stubbornness. So he's a very bad man. The person you're talking to is not worse than what? And you are not better than Musa and Harun, who are both instructed to be what? To speak in a gentle manner to who? Fir'aun. So always keep that in mind. So this shows us the Prophet he doesn't have to give an excuse. He can reject a gift. But what did he want to do? He wanted to explain. We all together. And it's a good characteristic for the Muslim to explain himself. It's not a bad thing. The Muslims, what do they say? No, I, need, I don't need to explain myself to you. It's a good thing to explain yourself sometimes. Are we all together? Because it sometimes can clear the mind of a Muslim. Imam Hakim. Sorry, the Sheikh of Al Hakim Nisaburi, Abu Ali Nisaburi, he said, This hadith is one of the strongest hadiths when it comes to giving excuses. It's a powerful hadith. Now. The Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam In this hadith He told us five things Khamsun min ad-dawabi Five Creatures They should be killed Five kind of animals They are vicious And they are harmful and they should be killed outside or inside the haram. This one that the author brought, this narration, it mentioned how many? Five. There's another wording of Imam Muslim, it mentioned four. It dropped out the Aqrab. The Aqrab is the scorpion. The Muslim's narration. And the wording of Muslim, he dropped out in one of its riwayah, Muslim dropped out the scorpion, so he mentioned four. And Abi Awanat al-Isra'ini, in his Mustakhraj, he mentioned six. So we have five, four, we have four, five, six. He mentioned six, and he added in there al-hayya, the viper. The viper is a what? The boy is a venomous, poisonous snake. Al-Hayya. So those are the six that should be killed where they're found. By the way, these six is a framework. In other words, it will be used for other animals as well who carry the characteristics of being dangerous and lethal. Are we all together? The same as a lion. It was killed if it's seen in haram. Are we all together? So this hadith mentioned is the first one is al ghurab the crow. The crow is killed. Well hidatu, the hidat is kite. It's a type of bird. Called kite. It's a type of bird, it's white generally. It's got scary eyes, yellow eyes. And it's a very, very lethal animal. Lethal bird. 
It'll snatch things. It can snatch kids as well. Snatch. Wal-aqrabu. And a what? And al-aqrab, a scorpion. Wal-fa'aratu. And a mouse. Wal-kalbu al-aquru, the rapid dog. All five of those, they are killed. The rapid dog means the vicious dogs that use their teeth, their maulers. They dig into those dogs. Canine, what's it called? Canine dogs, right? American, a German Shepherd, for instance. That's killed, like a little chihuahua. You don't kill that. Little dog, don't kill it, just get rid of that. Like in the one that attacks people, He's, he's, they're killed. So all of these haywanat are killed. And it's killed by who? The one who's in a state of ihram and the one who's not. Whether you're in a state of ihram or not, you're allowed to kill these animals. Why? Because they, they, they will kill someone else or they will cause harm to another person. So you need, the haram, it needs to be protected from them and their action. The, the wolf enters there, the lion will enter there. Any other animals that carry that characteristics of being vicious, attacking, falls under that. The hadith just gave a framework of them, but it doesn't mean it's only these ones. Any other animal that is known to be like that will be added into the list. And that's what Ibn al-Qudama in his Mughni, he expanded on. He mentioned that in his fifth volume, page 177. Now. <laughs> this hadith that we're going to go into is the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam did hijama. Hijama is cupping. While he was in the state of ihram, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So this hadith shows. This hadith shows that it's unrestrictedly permissible for you to use. Hijama, when you're in a state of haram, unrestrictedly, whether it's for a necessary reason, a medical reason, or not, it doesn't matter. It shows mutlaqan, unrestrictedly, that it's permissible. The Zahir of the Hadith shows that. And that's the view of the overwhelming majority of scholars. From them is Abu Hanifa, Imam Shafi'i, Imam Malik, and Imam Ahmed. All four of them agree, and other Salaf. But they condition something. What they condition is, You're not allowed to lose hair. When you're hijama, you're not allowed to lose hair. فَإِنْ قَطَعَ شَعْرًا They said, if hair goes with it, with it, hair is cut. They said that it falls under the ayah, فَمَنْ كَانَ مِنْكُمْ مَرِيضًا أَوْ بِهِ أَدَمْ مِنْ رَأْسِهِ فَفِدْيَةٌ فَفِدْيَةٌ مِنْ صِيَامٍ أَوْ صَدَقَةٍ أَوْ نُسُكٍ so they're trying to use the last part of the ayah, which is, someone who has harm in his hair and he shaves it. What's upon him? He has to do fidya. And we'll come to that, inshallah ta'ala. If you have illness on your hair, where you have to remove your hair in hajj, you remove it. The religion wants you to remove it. But you have to give fidya. And the fidya that the ayah mentioned is that you fast three days. 
and you give sadaqah or you what? Or you do a nusuk, which is you feed, you spill a blood. So, the, ever, the strongest opinion is the, the opinion of the Jumhur that it's permissible to do hijama whilst you're in the state of ihram, mutlaqan, unrestrictedly. And there's some of the Malikiyah who said, no, it's not allowed. Only when there's a darura, their view is very weak. And also Hassan al-Basri took that opinion. Lakin, this condition that the Jumhur put and that they stipulated where their hair can't go, that's incorrect. That's not right. That condition is not right. Because if a person scratches his head and hair goes down, is he going to pay fidya? Did he scratch his head to cut hair off his head? Are we there? I saw with my two eyes a person who was in Hajj who wanted to scratch his head and he said, I'm not going to scratch it. I'm not. And it's burning him. He wants to scratch it. But he's not scratching it because he said, if I scratch my hair and hair falls off, fidya. That is attanattu. That's extreme. That's extreme in the religion. Huh? And there's people who give fatwa like that. Don't touch your hair. His nail, don't touch it. Don't. don't just stay still. That is the ones that the Prophet was referring to when he said, Halaka al mutanatti'oon. Halaka al mutanatti'oon. Halaka al mutanatti'oon. Destroyed are those who are go overboard. Destroyed are those who go exceed the limits. No. The hijama that was done, was it the purpose to cut the hair? No. The hijama was the purpose. If the hair goes with it unintentionally, there's nothing upon you. Just the same way when you scratch your head. If you do it to cut hair, then yes, you have to pay fidya. But if you do it because you want to scratch your head, and then hair goes with it, then there's nothing upon you. There's nothing upon you because there's no evidence to show that. فَإِنَّهُ لَمْ يَثْبُتْ فِي السُنَّةِ مَا يَدُلُّ عَلَىٰ أَنَّهُ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ فَدَى لِمَحْتَجَرَ أَوْ أَمَرَ بِالْفِدْيَةِ Because he himself did it. And the chances of the hair falling off the Prophet ﷺ whilst it was done is what? It's very high. And he didn't explain and say, listen, hijama is allowed. But if you see that hair got, went, huh? you have to pay a fidya. He never said that. And the fact that he didn't clarify it is the issue of ta'khirul bayani an waqtil hajati la yajuz. The messenger wouldn't have delayed explaining when the need was there, right? Yeah. So, that's a different situation. If you have to shave to do it, is another situation. Are we all together? But if it, you cup and hair goes down with it, that's different. But if you shave, you intended the shaving. No, not necessarily. Not necessarily. It can be, and it could be the overwhelming majority, but some situations, or a lot of the situations, hatta some of the time the head is done with no shaving. It's actually done. And it's, it happens. So I have to clarify when I say it. If the person is cupped on his body and then the hair goes down with it, there's nothing upon you. But if you shave it, 
and then use the cupping for it, then you have to pay the fidya. Because you intended the shaving. Does that make sense? No. Ka'b ibn Ujrat ibn Umayyah, this noble companion. Ka'b ibn Ujrat ibn Umayyah, he participated in the Battle of Hudaybiyah with the Messenger the Battle of Hudaybiyah. And the Qissatul Fidya, the story of the Fidya, it came down on him. The ayah, فَمَنْ كَانَ مِنْكُمْ مَرِيضًا أَوْ بِهِ أَذًا مِنْ رَأْسِهِ فَفِدْيَةٌ مِنْ صِيَامٍ أَوْ صَدَقَةٍ أَوْ نُسُخ The ayah came down on him. And it's this. He said, "Humiltu ila Rasulillah I was carried. I was what? I was carried. Um, I mean, he couldn't walk anymore. And he said, and the lice that were in my hair were falling over my face. It was falling over my face. Kabul Ujra. Very serious. I want you to pause here, brothers, and take a benefit from this point. The lice that was coming out from the hair of Ka'b ibn Ujrah. Look at the Sahabas, their Iman, and how righteous they were. He didn't kill the lice. Because in the state of Ihram, and you're in the sacred, sacred land, he didn't do anything to it. They want to hear a ruling. What can I do? What can I do? And you need to know, brothers, these people's Hajj was months in the desert. Sand, dust, everything. He got sick. So he couldn't walk anymore. And I was brought to the Prophet. I said, The messenger said to him, I never thought, I did not know that your disease, the illness, that it will actually. Can reach this level. I never thought. Look at it. The lice was dropping from the hair of the companion. Filled his head. It could be seen falling off the hair of the companion. The Prophet said to him, Tajidu Shatan, the Messenger, he said, Can you sacrifice a sheep? Ultullah, I said, No. The Prophet then said, Fasum thalata ta'iyam, and then to fast three days. Or give 60. What do you do? Every miskin, you give him half a sa'. You give it to him half a sa'. Half a sa'a is two mud. Half a sa'a is what? It's two mud. Lianna one saw is four mud. Naam. No, another point I wanted to mention. Does the person have the choice to choose from it? 
Or does he have to do it this one? If he can't do it, then he does this one. Does he have a choice? Can he choose? Naam ibn Abdul Bar says, Aamatul Athari an Ka'ab ibn Ujrah. The overwhelming text that came from Ka'ab ibn Ujrah waradat bilafdi takhir. It came as a choice. And it's the same the ayah of the Quran. The ayah says, فَمَنْ كَانَ مِنْكُمْ مَرِيضًا أَوْ بِهِ And if he has, the ayah says, أَوْ بِهِ أَذًا مِنْ رَأْسِي فَفِدْيَةٌ مِنْ صِيَامٍ أَوْ صَدَقَةٍ أَوْ نُسُكٍ The oh here is tanwi' with this one or this one or this one. The word oh is لِلتَّخْيِيرِ وَالتَّنْوِعِ This one or this one or this one. فَمَنْ كَانَ مِنْكُمْ مَرِيضًا أَوْ بِهِ أَذًا مِنْ رَأْسِي فَفِدْيَةٌ مِنْ صِيَامٍ أَوْ صَدَقَةٍ أَوْ نُسُكٍ Choice. ولذلك عبد العجرة يستسيء في نزلت This ayah came down to me. This ayah talking to me first. Um, and then the Messenger صلى الله عليه وسلم he commanded him to shave all of his hair. Shave it all. Because he's ill. And so when he shaved it what was done was he was given the choice of a fidya. Here nowadays what do you see in the Kaaba when people come with Mistakes like that. They shave their hair or something like that. The people, they say to him, oh, you have to slaughter an animal straight away. Now the person has a choice from the three. He can choose one or any of those three. He can choose. Also, another point that needs to be understood is, is this specific to the hair or does it also involve the body? A person has to get rid of the hair of the body or is it just referring to the head Imam Ahmed rahimahullah said sha'arul ra'si wal lihyati wal ibti it's referring to the hair it's referring to the body hair it's all, it's also referring to the armpits and then he said la alamu ahadan farraqa baynahuma i don't know anyone who distinguish one from the other lakin the dawud al-zahiri the zahiri imam of the madhab of the zahiriya he said, no, the body is different. It's permissible for you to touch your body hair. The hair that you're not allowed to touch is the one on the head. And he goes, the, my evidence for that is, the ayah, his ayah says, وَلَا تَحْلِقُوا وَلَا تَحْلِقُوا رُؤُوسَكُمْ حَتَّى يَبْلُغَ الْهَدْيُ مَحِلَّهِ وَلَا تَحْلِقُوا رُؤُوسَكُمْ Do not shave your heads and not your body. Dawood al-Zahirian, they stick to the ayat's apparent meaning. So they said, look at the ayah. The only thing that it said, don't shave, was what? The head. So they said, the body is not a problem. So there's no reason why this is brought into the discussion. Lakin, Imam Ahmed and the other view is correct. It's referring to every part of your body here. And the evidence for that is, the ayah, generally people want to shave what hair? It's referring to the over majority. Are we all together? It's something that the majority of the times people don't shave their body. Is that what they shave? No. They shave their head. So that's the one that generally people are stopped from. Okay? Not everybody in the world has body hair to shave. So it's the difference. Like in every, every Nigerian has hair. The second evidence to show is when Allah Taala said in the ayah, "Thumma liyakudu tafatahum." Thumma liyakudu 
tafathahum. The word tafath, Abdullah ibn Abbas, he said, tafath, it means ar-ramy, wal-zabh, wal-halq, wal-taqseer, wal-akhdu min al-shari, wal-adhafir. He said the word tafath in the ayah is to take from your mustache, which is a hair other than the head. And it's also referring to the what? Your nails and etc. So there's ayats that show the other parts of the hair. Naam. This hadith, it says, Abu Hurairah narrated that Allah, when Allah gave the Messenger the victory of the conquest of Mecca, and that was what year? Fath Mecca was what year? Huh? It was the eighth year of the Hijriah that the Messenger conquered Mecca in the month of Ramadan. He did it. Qama Rasulullah fi nasi the messenger stood up. So this seems like it was a khutbah. It seemed like a what? Khutbah. Um, but it's not. As the other evidences, the other riwayat have shown. Inna Allah habasa an Makkah al-fil. Allahu Azza wa Jalla, he withheld the elephant from Mecca. Abraha. Allah protected him. Abraha's Elephants, they wanted to go to the Kaaba and charge into the Kaaba and destroy it. Allah protected the Kaaba from it. And Allah Tabaraka wa Ta'ala, He empowered, Allah empowered and He strengthened His Messenger and the believers. Today, Mecca is for the believers. And it's also not permissible for anyone before me. It's not. No one is allowed to fight in this place. No one is allowed to wage war here. The messenger said, it was only permitted for me for a fraction of time. Small period of time, I was allowed to fight. Meaning, Nabi Muhammad fought in, the Mecca, in Mecca. No other prophet was allowed. He said, I was, the only, I was only allowed for a short period of time. The scholars, they say, that fighting in Mecca is only permissible in two situations. Number one, al-qital al-mudafa'ah. If it's offensive, if there's anyone who comes to attack, it is permissible. Anyone who tries to attack Mecca or to fight with the people in Mecca for Mecca to be defended. 
That Mecca is what? That it's defended, protected. And the second one is, if a capital punishment is being fulfilled in Mecca. Like, for example, if a person apostates or a person committed zina after marriage, or etc., where capital punishments are done, it can be done in Mecca. Those two times, the blood can spill. A person killed another person deliberately. He'll be killed. Death sentence. And the death sentence is done in Mecca, right? Those are the situations where it can be done. So, وَإِنَّمَا أُحِلَّتْ لِي سَاعَةَ مِنْ نَهَارٍ وَإِنَّهَا لَنْ تَحِلَّ لِأَحَدٍ بَعْدِ فَلَا يُنَفَّرُ صَيْدُهَا The Messenger وسلم, he said, it is not lawful, it is not allowed for anyone to frighten the creatures and the animals here. It's not allowed to. Remember there's an exception, the ones that have to be killed have to be killed, right? And its thorns are not picked. No, and they're not cut. It's impermissible for somebody to do it. What about if somebody does do it? If a person does that in Mecca and he cuts the thorns, what is the ruling regarding him? Is there any punishment? Or what about if he frightens the animals? It's narrated that Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqasin in Sahih Muslim, Sa'ad Nabi Qas was heading towards his house one day. شجرا, and he saw a man cutting a tree. And this was in Medina. Okay, which is going to come to us. So he saw him cutting the tree. And so Sa'ad Nabi Qas took everything that he owned, all his belongings. The wealth, everything he had that man, he took it from him. He took from him. Later the people of the slave came. They talked talk to Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqas. They said, give back to the boy all these belongings that you took. And then he said, Allah, by Allah, I seek refuge, I will never give it back. And for me to return back something Allah and his messenger gave to me. And he refused to give it. That's in Medina. So some of the scholars, they said in Mecca is the same. If he does that, the leader of the system, they're allowed to take what is his belonging. Things can't be taken. There's a punishment for it. Also, the hadith shows the permissibility of doing a khutbah and a reminder and a mu'idah to explain rulings of the religion to the people. Sometimes, without it being Friday, you're allowed to stand amongst the people and to talk to them. That you can do that. That it doesn't have to be Fridays. And that people only have to wait for Fridays. Also, the hadith shows us, If you're walking in the haram and you see a mobile phone on the floor, don't pick it up. Leave it there. Unless you're going to publicly announce it. Once you take it from there, our whole responsibility comes onto your shoulder. And we know Makkah is very, very big, isn't it not? Huh? It's very big. 
It's very big. So you may not be able to announce it to everybody. And you don't want to keep a belonging of a person unjustly. So leave it there. What's the benefit of leaving it there? The person might come back to that particular place to look for their belonging. Like in what can take that ruling today is lost property, property centers that the haram has. Places they, if you find any lost property, you take it there. And the person goes and he looks for it over there. That's also the same as picking it up and putting it in a public announced place. Are we all together? وَمَنْ قُتِلَ لَهُ قَتِيلٌ فَهُوَ بِخَيْرٍ نَظَرَيْنِ If anybody, his family member is murdered, and somebody from his family is killed, then he has what? He has the, the right of choosing. He has the choice of choosing between Al-Qisas or Al-Af. Whether to punish that person by him getting murdered, he can ask, kill him for us. We don't want him to live because he killed my father. Or they have the rights to forgive. They have the rights to forgive and to take a what? Blood money. And this mas'ala needs tafasil, more details, more explanation, and it's spoken more in the Kitab al-Qisas, which is in the back chapters of the chapters of Mu'amalat. Also, the hadith benefits us that Abbas ibn Abdul Muttalib, the Prophet's uncle, he, when the Prophet said that no trees are allowed to be cut from Mecca, Abbas stood up and he said, Illa al-idkhir. Idkhir is a, it's, a, it's a grass that has nice smell to it. They make their houses and stuff from it. So he said, Ya Rasulullah, Illa al-idkhir. Allow us to cut the idkhir from the roots. We want to utilize it. We can use the idkhir and make houses from it. Because he said, Ya Rasulullah, we make it out of, out, of, out of our houses and our graves. Then the messenger said, Illa al-idkhir. And the idkhir. This a mas'ala usul al-fiqh. In books of usul al-fiqh that they discuss, which is, Sihatul istithna al-munfasil. The permissibility of the disconnected exception. So somebody says something. He says, I divorced my wife. He goes quiet for a little bit. And he says, except fulana. Is it allowed the exception that he came with after? Or does the exception have to be connected to the original statement? So those scholars who use the permissibility of istithna. Are we all together? Which is munfasil. That's disconnected from the person's statement. They use this hadith. They said that the Prophet spoke and he finished what he wanted to say. Then Ibn Abbas, then Al Abbas, sorry, then Al Abbas interjected and said, "Illa al idkhir ya Rasulullah." Now, yeah, that's what I said. Mudaf, defensive. Yeah, yeah. What did I say? I said offensive. No, 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 no. I meant defensive. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Did I say offensive? Sorry. Jazakallah khairan. I, I, I meant defensive, and mudafa'a means to defend. It's a mistake on my side. You're not allowed to wage war in Mecca. No one's allowed to fight with anyone in Mecca. Def- offensive is not allowed. What is allowed is what? To defend it from anything. Ah, that's what I meant. Sorry. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Naam. وَعَنْ عَبْدِ اللَّهِ بْنِ زَيْدٍ يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ يَا اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ قَالَ إِنَّ إِبْرَاهِ
This hadith, Bukhari narrated it, and Muslim, they both narrated it. من طريقة عمر بن يحيى عن عبيد بن تميم الأنصاري عن عمه عبد الله بن زيد بن عاصم أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم قال الحديث. The hadith is an evidence for that Ibrahim asked Allah تبارك وتعالى to give Mecca and make Mecca a sanctuary. Uh, sacred um, and give it sanctuary Ibrahim did and he made dua for the people of Mecca Nabi Ibrahim made dua for the people of Mecca what did he say when he Ibrahim Rabbi ja'al hadha al-balada aminan warzuk ahlahu min al-thamarati man amana minhum qalu wa man kafara fawmattu'um kalilan thumma adharru ila adha so the believers give them a good happiness even the disbeliever who wants to the munafiq who wants to live with the muslims and cheat even him ibrahim said that let him enjoy the dunya with the muslims and then take him to the hellfire the day of judgment and destroy him so ibrahim made dua for mecca and the people of mecca nabi muhammad then said wa inni haramtul madinata and nabi ibrahim nabi muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam he said, I declared Medina to be a haram, a sanctuary. I declared it. Kama harrama Ibrahimu. Through supplication, of course. The way Ibrahim declared Mecca to be a haram, a sanctuary. Wa inni da'utu fi sa'iha. The messenger said, I made dua for their sa'ah. Sa'ah is a measurement of the food. Wa muddiha. The mud, as I said to you, it's what? Four sa's. Four mud is one sa' in measurement. I made dua for the food of the people of Medina. Like in what? Bimithlay ma da'a Ibrahim. Double of what Ibrahim asked for. And multiplied it. Li ahli Makkata. And anyone, wallahi, who goes to Medina today and looks at Medina, Medina's dates will fill you up. Little that you eat from Medina will fill you up. Has barakah in Medina. The minute you enter, you find that tranquility and tumanina in Medina. Allah gave this place that. Allah gave it subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَلِذَلَكَ شَيْخَ عَبْدُ عَزِيزٍ بْنُ بَازِرٍ said, وَمَنْ سَكَنَ الْمَدِينَةَ يَعْرِفُ ذَلِكَ Anyone who lives in Medina would surely know the, 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 the way the, the, the dua of the Prophet has hit Medina. How it's affected it. يَعْرِفُ مَا فِيهَا مِنَ الْبَرَكَةِ فِي طَعَامِهَا وَشَرَابِهَا The food, the drinks, in Medina is just unique. And how the people of Medina little suffices them. Especially the people of Iman. A lot of people who travel when they come back and you ask them, how did you find your Umrah? In Medina. Sahih? They, they, you guys agree to that? Who's been there and felt Medina was unique for him? Put your hand up. Who went to Umrah? And when they went, they, Medina stuck out from the whole journey for them. The way Medina was. And that's an overwhelming majority of Muslims. Not that, Mecca, Medina, not that Medina is better than Mecca. No, that doesn't mean it. But it means that the Messenger made double the dua of Ibrahim from the people of Medina. And the Messenger's dua is what? It's accepted. It's taken he take her on. وَلِذَلِكَ Medina, it will keep its people. The righteous people, they can stay in Medina. 
Medina spits out. What does he spit out? The hypocrites and the munafiqs, they can't last in Medina. They travel out, they say, I can't be here, I want to go, I don't want to be here anymore. Are we all together? I know a brother, when I saw him in Medina, he's lived in Medina for 38 years. So he never leaves Medina. He goes, Umrah and travel. So I told him, why don't you ever leave? He just said, I'm scared of that hadith. I said, but it means if... I know I just don't want to leave. I just don't want to leave Medina. So Medina, that's the blessing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave Medina. And the virtue that Medina has. Naam. This is the last hadith that we're going to take, inshallah ta'ala, for today. Hudud haram al-madaniyah. What's the boundaries of the haram al-madani? The boundary means what? Where, where is Medina? Why do, why do we... What, why do, we want to know, why do we want to know Medina for? What's the importance of knowing Medina? What significance does it hold for us to know how, where is Medina? The reason is because, number one, we just mentioned that the Prophet made dua for the people of Medina and the food of Medina. So you need to know it if you're in Medina, right? You don't want to be outside Medina, but you think you're in Medina. Also, the Prophet he prohibited hunting in Medina. Hunting in Medina is prohibited. So you need to know what Medi- where is Medina that you can't hunt in. Also, Dajjal does not enter. He doesn't enter a Medina. You don't want to be somewhere you think it's Medina, but it's what? Outside Medina, Dajjal comes to you. Also, the importance of knowing it is the Prophet ﷺ, he said that Ba'un plague right it doesn't go to Medina and many other things that the messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam mentioned for Medina in the authentic hadith it goes back to you knowing what where is Medina so Medina is between two mountains Medina is between two mountains the first of those mountains is as the prophet said al Medina to haramun Medina is a sanctuary it's a haram and it's a sacred Blessed land. Ma bayna ayrin ila thawrin. Ayr is a mountain and thawr is another mountain. It's between those two mountains. The first one, the first mountain is ayrin. And the second mountain is thawrin. A lot of people, they know mountain Jabal al-Thawr, right? Ah, they hear of it. And also the other one is Jabalu. Ayr, a lot of people also know of it and they've seen it. Those are the two mountains. Sifatu al Hajj and the Dukhul of Mecca, the chapter that talks about Sifatu al Hajj, how to do Hajj and how to enter Mecca, is a hadith that we want to leave for tomorrow because a lot of people should be coming tomorrow, inshallah, ta'ala, Friday night. This is where we study how to actually do Hajj. Like literally, how to do Hajj step by step. So tomorrow we will do, and if only you've just taken this hadith, 
if you only have to, if you only take this hadith because it's a very long hadith if you only take this hadith then you'll understand hajj very well we all together so make sure that you come tomorrow and anyone you know that would definitely want to learn how to do hajj they can't miss tomorrow it's not to, it's not it's not the time to miss it tomorrow is a big day for, for, for those who wanted to go It's a step by step It's the most comprehensive hadith It's the what? It's the most comprehensive hadith So we'll talk about everything inshallah And we'll, I'll try inshallah To give you all a visual Some things need for me to stand up and show you I'll show you inshallah So this hajj that those who are going When they go They have knowledge and understanding and I ask Allah wa ta'ala that he adds it to our scales of righteous deeds for, uh, for this and that anything I, have, might, I might have said or faults or errors is from me and shaitan and Allah and his messenger are free from it subhanakallahu wa bihamdik ashadu la ilaha illallah astaghfiruhu wa tuhu but I will take questions inshallah ta'ala fadl That's the thing, every time I see different. So I, 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 if you, I know a saw is two, hand, two palms full of ordinary, like a normal person. That's one saw. Now, yeah, you know the mood. I don't have my mood with me here right now. I left it in the UK. I would have shown you it. It's this much. Four of those. Taqriban. It's this much. Yeah, like a monk. Taqriban. Huh? Huh? Anyone Googled it up? They'll show you the measurement. It is different. Every legend gives a different verdict. Like if you look it up right now, you'll find it. It's not hard. You can find it. Approximate measurement. Ah, the weakest of it. No, the you mean the fatah of it, place on it. The hadith, you know, it's a riwayat bil ma'ana, right? It's narrated by wording. A meaning, 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 meaning. Ha, the sahabi or someone would narrate it by the or tabi or tabi tabi hadith. Hadith are not verbatim, like exactly the Prophet didn't necessarily say that. Why do you hear Wafi Lafdin? Wafi Lafdin. Hadith has the concept of Al Riwayat bin Ma'ana. The meaning is explained and is brought. In Hadith, what we worship Allah on is the meaning, not the wording. Ha, sometimes there's some, yeah, some of the hadiths, the, the wording is incorrect and it's corrected and it's, said it's a wrong wording. That's where the concept of shares and things like that come. Yeah. That's a hadith. Hadith is Jabir. It's tomorrow. 
tomorrow, fasting of Arafah and whatnot. We'll talk about that. The miqat. Ah, the wearing of the haram is not. No, no, no. After the miqat, you reach it, you come with the intention, that's when it starts for you. Yes. It's the intention now. It's the intention. We spoke about that on the flight when you're going on there and you're coming from the airport. Before that, you could wear your shoes on the flight, and when you reach the miqat, you take off your shoes. Whatever, and you come with the intention. Labbaik Allahumma hajjan or umratan, we say that. No, the second time you're not allowed, sah. Yeah, Jazakallah khairan. You're right, the second time you can. Yeah. The second time when you're, you're entering Mecca, you're in a state of ihram. You are not allowed to use perfume. You could just shower. You also have to stay away from soaps that have smelt it. Uh, you have to use soaps that don't have smell. Shower gels that have fragrance to it. Stay away from it. Uh, you can only use water and soaps that don't have no smell. Air, what's it called? The sprays. No, you can't use. That can all be used in the, 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 the miqat. Now you've passed the miqat. You've been doing your talbiyah on the way to Mecca. Are we all together? Now you're only doing it from what? Some scholars, they say there's a third usul. Once you've entered Mecca again. Just before you go to the haram. It's also nice if you go to the hotel again to shower and go. Now, how you from us? Hey, what? The homework. Yeah, did you guys do the homework? Who done, who's, done, who's not done the homework? You know why I asked who's not done the homework? Huh? Ha. Ah, written homework. Do you guys know why I asked you why you didn't do the homework? Who knows why I asked that one and not who did the homework? No. Huh? Because the ones who did the... Because I, I, I have a good heart for you guys. I believe that the people who did it were more. And the ones who did it were less. But now I'm going to change the question. Who did it? <laughs> you no one, inshallah. Tomorrow, bismillah. Look into it, inshallah. Barakallah feekum. Wa jazakumullah khairah.